Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to give us a follow on all of our social medias. We're Around the 412 on all social media platforms. And go subscribe to us on YouTube as well. It really helps us out a lot. Um, as always, we're going to open the show talking about a couple GoFundMes. First, we're going to open up with uh, the Masters family GoFundMe. We'll switch it up, start with that one first. Um, so uh, a few months ago, or a month ago about... Um, Amy LeMasters was battling breast cancer, um, and unfortunately, she lost that battle with with cancer, but we are going to try to help alleviate the financial burden that cancer can cause the best way we can, and we're going to continue to link the description to that show, um, in, or link the description, or that in the description of the show. Holy cow, I just gave my, yeah, we'll myself a we'll brain fart real quick, um, but uh, the family is from Beaver, Pennsylvania, my hometown. It's a close to home, and I, I, I know... All of us have seen how cancer can affect families. So while we can't replace the loss of a mother, we can try to help alleviate the the burden that cancer has caused on that family, at least financially. Um, the second one is over 51,000, by the way. Real quick, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. This number to see. Uh, but we want to continue to help out as the best we can. Um, also, second is the Isla Keen Future Fund. Um, so. Dalton Keene, her father, passed away in, in, at a Steeler game by all of you. Everybody knows it by now. Um, we've continued to push this, but we're just going to continue to push and promote it. That way we can try to help Isla out best we can financially for her future. Leaving behind a two-year-old daughter is a terrible thing to happen, um, but we just want to be able to continue to try to help the best that we can. So that will also be linked in the description of this show on YouTube and all the listening platforms. And with the – with uh, Isla King's future fund. Smitty has the Dalton King golf outing to inform you all about. Yeah. Uh, you said two year old Isla's birthday in a couple months. It's actually like right around mine. So she turns three in June. Um, I, I don't know why I just thought about that now. I was like, I'm gonna have to get her something too. But anyway, the Dalton King golf outing will be May 13th at Blackhawk Golf Course at 2 p.m. Uh, proceeds going to be split between the Isla Keen Fund and also the Caring Place in Pittsburgh, which is always uh, really close to Dalton and Kaylee's hearts. So that will be awesome. $100 per player for some, and $100 will get you obviously the golf along with the food and beverage uh, if you're interested in participating you can reach out to me or you can contact them um I, they have a flyer that has their phone numbers on it so like i'm guessing that they're okay with people having their information so kaylee and todd todd is dalton's best friend that is putting this whole thing together i can put that information all in the description of the show uh as well so that will be there but again dalton keen golf outing blackhawk golf course at uh, 2 p.m on may 13th awesome I, again, I, I I want to be able to see Smitty play golf. So so maybe <laughs> maybe not this one, but you know what? Maybe it's going to be an annual. Maybe thing. the second it's, annual. It's, yeah, yeah, it's going to be an annual thing. Listen, so so maybe we can get a foursome together because I'll, of, I'll be in Pittsburgh and we'll get a foursome. That would actually be really cool. It can be like because they do like sponsorships and stuff too. So like around the four one two can be like the sponsor for the for the for the foursome. So that would be really cool. Um, but anyway. What I wanted to say was, I know Sarge always has a problem with this. I don't think he would say this, given the circumstance of this, why this golf outing is happening. But on the flyer, it says first annual. And Sarge always hates when it says first annual anything because he says <laughs> that doesn't exist. You have to get to the second year for it to be a second annual. But this is certainly something that I believe is going to be happening every year. So 
again, like Tyler said, yeah, maybe we get involved with it more next year. I'll be at it at it this year. I'm just not golfing. I'm gonna be there with some giveaways that I have as well, uh, some leftover stuff from Rock Around the Four One Two. So I'll be there. Um, you can hit me up, and uh, again, whether you want to golf or just come hang out, come be part of a great cause. It works. Now we get to talk about some sports. Some sports have been fun, and some sports have and, been. Uh, I don't uh, know that we would have thought that it would be this no, way. Yeah, yeah. You know the, <laughs> the the sports that we normally like to talk about, we don't want to talk about, and the sto- sports that we normally don't really care for, they're the best team in Pittsburgh right now. So yeah. Um. Either the time that you're listening to this, it's probably tomorrow. Maybe it's the day of opening day at PNC. And I was sitting there thinking like, okay, the pirate, like before the season started, okay, the pirates have two series before they have their home opener. What's their record going to be? Now I'm not very high in Cincinnati this year. I think they're going to win around 60 games. I think they could be in that hundred loss territory again this season. And then Boston didn't really know what to make of, but I still thought like, you know, hopefully they're three and three, maybe they're two and four. The pirates are going to go into their home home opener with a four and two record after sweeping Boston at Fenway park. Absolutely. I mean, just so fun to watch this series. Uh, it was one of those things like that last game getaway day being in the afternoon. So I don't know if you were able to catch any of the game or what, but uh, I Mitch did. Keller, I had it on at work. Okay. Yeah. Mitch Keller was fantastic. Shouldn't have even have given up a run. Just a really weird half inning where like, even it looked like they had tied it at four on a foul ball home run that was originally rolled a home run. And then, you know, a bat flip and then a foul ball that Mitch Keller strikes. Say, ladies, the whole weird sequence. Every inch counts. Cause that ball was foul. <laughs> It was, um, but yeah, the four and two Pittsburgh Pirates, and 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 how did we get here? Do you think? I mean, I think when when I'm looking at this team, the way that they played in the first six games here, obviously, like I mean, easy pickings to just say, look at what Brian Reynolds has done so far. Uh, but I really think the pitching, because if you go through top to bottom with the offense, it really hasn't been there consistently. But I think that the pitching, both the starting and the bullpen, has been really solid out the gate here for the Pirates. Yeah, I mean, they've got a couple guys offensively that are really good. I mean, like you said, Brian Reynolds off to a really hot start. And Andrew McCutcheon has been getting on base. I mean, his on base percentage is 522. So literally over half the time he's up the bat, he's getting on base, which is, which is incredible. I'm assuming he Um, leads the league in walks right now. Like without looking, I mean, he has to, I I don't know if he does, but he has my water bottles blocking it. Seven walks. In, in six games, yeah, or no, right. he didn't even play in one of them. So right. in, in in five games. So he, he's probably got to be up there. But yeah, I, I think pitching has been really good. Um, You know, I, I, I think that in, even in some of the starters, so like Rich Hill's start and uh, Oviedo's start, like there, there was some couple. Inning. Yeah, it's really yeah. just one rocky inning. And then they figure it out They and they, they control it more and they get through the rest of the game pretty good and i honestly i am more impressed with the bullpen than anything um because i thought the bullpen was really going to be an achilles heel especially like that middle bullpen in the middle innings of the game yeah but they've been able to to get outs and they've been able to to shut these offensives down whenever the pirates are in a pinch and i i think that that is part of the reason why they're in the situation that they are being at four and two just sweeping boston also by the way boston had scored nine runs in each of their first three games mm-hmm. and then the yeah. pirates are able to hold them to i think well the first game they scored four or five and then the rest of them they only scored uh one run each i think so you, you know it, it, it's really impressive to see that what the pirates have done this this first uh week of baseball 
Um, I, if, if, I didn't really have the Pirates getting a sweep this early in the season on my bingo card for the season. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I, I still think it's impressive enough, and it kind of goes to show like I, what I was talking about last week when we were doing the season preview like this team can be pretty solid. And the thing that I thought was going to hold it up was the pitching. And the thing that we didn't have a lot of in some of these games is some of the bats that I thought you were going to have more consistently, at least through it's been a week, but I still think the offense was the strength of this team. And I I thought that it was going to be held back by potential pitching. I, I think they've gotten really good pitching in the bullpen. And I think they've gotten good enough pitching in the starters, even more than good enough. And I mean, Mitch Keller today, was really good, made it through seven innings, which is awesome to see. He was really fired up about getting that last strikeout. Um, but what it shows is, is if this team puts all the pieces together, they can – not, I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but like they can win ball games and they can win series, yeah. and it, they're going to be really fun to watch. I think that last part is really the thing is, is they're going to be more fun to watch. Like they're going to be a lot more competitive this year. I don't think that you're going to have to worry about them getting blown out a ton and like turning games off early um, as was the case last year. But yeah, it's kind of, and this is, you know, six games in. So again, take it with a grain of salt, but very early in the season here, kind of to your point, been a reverse of what we expected to see. T Brian's bat has not come North with him from spring training yet only hitting at a 100 clip on base percentage. Also just 100. Um, uh, Santana had a home run today. He's not hitting well though to start the season here. Our, our boy, one of our breakout picks, Rodolfo Castro, his bat has not, you know, come with him out of spring training either. Uh, unsurprisingly, you're not really getting much from the catchers right now in hedges on the seven day uh, IL with a concussion. Although Jason Thiele does have a couple extra base hits, including a homer here early, you know, where he wasn't probably expecting to be in the role that he's in. Um, Unsurprisingly, Jackson Winsky not off to a very good start. Um, I want to highlight though Jiwan Bay. And although like the numbers don't like pop off the page, uh, just 214 average, 267 on base, uh, slugging 500. But he's played in a lot of different positions already defensively. You saw him make some great plays in the outfield at Fenway, played that ball right against the wall, as well as anybody that I've seen at Fenway. That's a very tough ballpark yeah. to gauge, especially when you're getting that close to the wall. Devers didn't know what happened. <laughs> he, yeah. he was puzzled. Um, and also, you know, G1 did have his first career home run and opposite field shot over the monster. Um, so this is a guy I think kind of like, I'm not going to say like, I think it'd be too bold to throw the term X factor on a guy like G1 Bay. Um, but maybe he's like what we thought Castro was going to be like the guy that runs away with that second base job. Josh Harrison. Um, yeah. And, and, and plays multiple defensive positions. And here's the big thing too. We haven't seen a ton of stolen bases in recent memory from pirate from the pirates. He's a guy that's going to steal some bases this year, I think, especially yeah. like with the roles cha- being changed where pitchers can only throw the ball over two times before they have to get him out. If they throw it the third time over, you just see a lot more steals across baseball. And uh, G1 Bay is one of the few guys on the Pirates that I think is going to take advantage of that. We saw a double steal today, too. It was McCutcheon and... Uh, yeah, and then shortly after, oh, it was yeah. Reynolds. It was <laughs> oh, it was Reynolds. Reynolds, yeah, yeah. Shortly after, Reynolds... That, that was one of the biggest... Most confusing base running. I think they were just trying to get out of the game. That's what I said. I I think they just wanted to leave Boston. They're like, (laughs) okay, we're going to win this game. Let's get to the ninth inning and let's just shut this thing down. Because there was no way that Kutch leaves that. Like, like Kutch doesn't have to move. 
Yeah. If anything, Reynolds gets out and Kutch just stands on the base. The whole point was Reynolds <laughs> was just getting that rundown to let Kutch get to third instead of have to go back to second. Yeah, yeah and then Kutch starts running back to second, and I, I, that was the most confusing thing I've seen. Um, but yeah, I, I think G. Wan Bay has been really good. Um, and he he provides some some really good defense. And I I think that you're right. Maybe he is one of the guys that uh we we thought. Castro could be like what that would be the Josh Harrison esque uh sort of player where he can play multiple positions but ends up being an everyday starter eventually. Mm-hmm. I, I I think it's been really productive. Um and you know I I think that this team has several players that are are going to maybe I mean obviously we have some guys that we want to turn around right away because we expected more like a Castro like a Santana but I think there's several guys that are going to be contributors in one way or another whereas defense or offensively for this team um and, and you know like Cabrian for example obviously I want the bat to be better but yeah. I, the defense is still really good um e- even without the bat so mm-hmm. th- that's just like a, a small example of just like whether they're contributing with the bat or with defense, I think there's going to be a lot of contributors on this team. There's not going to be really anybody who is really bad at one or the other, um, or, or, or really bad at both, I guess. They're going to be productive at one or the other. Yeah, I think that that's uh, <laughs> when you look at like catchers nowadays, like, you know, you look at the Pirates catching tandem and it, it leaves a lot to be desired, especially offensively, but Hedge is regarded as one of the best defensive players across all of baseball, not just the catcher position. So clearly they were coveting that at the position. I you can't. Ex- I don't expect him to provide much with a bat this year um, when he gets back. Which, by the way, once again, on the IL right now with a concussion, hopefully he's able to get back sooner rather than later. But, um, yeah, I mean, nice little surprise, though, from Jason DeLay and what he's provided. I thought, you know, there were times last year where he looked like he, he might be something, a former fourth-round pick. Um, you know, maybe he's like a late bloomer. Like, look at l- how long it took Jacob Stallings to get to the next level. Uh, and yeah. look at what he, you know, turned into at least in a short period of time in Pittsburgh. Clearly, Pittsburgh was like the peak of his MLB career. Uh, he was also an older prospect when he came up. So I think, you know, I, I get on Ben Sherrington a lot, but probably actually, eh, I mean, Zach Thompson, part of that trade, he's not going to make it. We'll see what happens with the minor leaguers. But I was going to say, at least they like sold on Stallings at the right time. I was upset yeah. about that trade, but it hasn't panned out uh, for the Marlins either. Uh, anyway, Friday, opening day at PNC Park. Very interested to see how many people show up for it, if it's like any other opening day or if it's got a different feel because of the team being 4-2 and two, along with Kutch being back. A.J. Burnett to Russell Martin going to be the first pitch. And there was some talk about it. I think A.J. Burnett is now pushing for it too. They want to black out PNC for the home opener, which I'm all about. When they blacked it out for the playoff games, that was one of my favorite things. It's so cool when everybody gets behind it and does the exact same thing. You can just see a sea of the same color uh, throughout the stand. So I'm very excited for that. I will definitely be participating. But White Sox, pretty w- random home opener <laughs> yeah. opponent. Uh, and yeah. then the Astros come to town. So first two series. A lot of AL. Yeah. A lot of AL. Yeah, three of their first four series. Yeah, uh, that, that's, that's very... I, I feel like uncharacteristic for baseball, especially for for openers. Like I feel like either the the opening day and people's home openers tend to a lot of the time be like divisional opponents. Um, yeah, I remember it, a few years ago though, like the first year that we had Colin Moran. The only reason I remember it is because of his grand his homer. That was against the Twins, so that was yeah. a pretty random home opener as well. Yeah, it was. Um, but I, I I think that it's going to be 
an exciting day in Pittsburgh. And what you mentioned, I, I think that even if the team wasn't four and two, now granted, I, I think that that adds some juice to it. Even if the team wasn't four and two, the one other thing you mentioned, the fact that Andrew McCutcheon is back, I don't even think it mattered if they were zero and six. I think people would still be, yeah, pretty I, pretty I pumped agree. about seeing Kutch mm-hmm. because he's just one of those figures in in Pittsburgh sports that transcends what's happening on the field. It's just the name, the aura, who who he is to the city, what he means to the city, and the memories that everybody has as fans watching him previously whenever he was a pirate. I don't think it mattered if they had won a game up to this point. I still think it would be sold out, and he is a major factor into the reason. But the fact that they're four and two, that it's even more juice. Uh, and you know, I, I I'm really excited about like baseball again. You know, I, I I talk bad about it all all off season that I don't want it to. I don't want to talk about baseball, but when you win, it's fun. We'll see how I'm talking in August, but yeah. as of right now, I, I think baseball is fun again. Uh, I want to wrap up talking about the Pirates with um, the news that came out right around opening day um, with the Brian Reynolds stuff. And whether this is going to continue to carry over if or if they're just shutting down talks, who knows. Um, that seemed like it was the plan, right? Was if they don't have an agreement by first pitch of opening day, that's it. There's going to be no discussions during the season. However, they were definitely talking afterwards. And I guess it's probably because like, if you get there on the years and the money, I guess that's like, okay, we're at least this close. Let's see if we can get this across the finish line. Now what started as eight years in the 130 million ish ballpark, Brian Reynolds came down on that to eight one Oh six. But the caveat to that is he was looking for an opt out after year number four of the deal, the pirates having control of him for three years anyway, you know, what's the, you're tacking on one more year really before he mm-hmm. can opt out and all he wanted it like backloaded preferably. Yeah. So really, really beneficial for Brian Reynolds. How beneficial is it to the pirates? I'm not sitting here like licking the pirates boots or anything like that, but like objectively, I don't know that that's a deal that I want them to make anyways. I would rather them just give him the 8-130 and not have an opt-out in it. Like, that's where I'm at with it. If it's a difference of $24 million, but you're not having to worry about the opt-out part of this, give it to him. I mean, if you're willing to go to 8-106, how get to 8-130. I agree. I I don't think they should be pinching pennies when it comes to this deal. I I think it needs to get done. And I mean, you see this the season the how he started this season. And <laughs> remember what he, I said last week: the contract is not getting any cheaper. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I said, and I tweeted it today. I, I said I I think that within the next forty eight hours, like after that game ended in Boston, you have forty eight hours until first pitch in Pittsburgh, and I think that you have forty eight hours that that deal oh, should imagine. be getting done. Oh, imagine that deal should be getting done. I I don't think there's an excuse from the Pirates organization anymore. Greg Brown coming out and being like the master of ceremonies, announcing the players, and he just announces it right then. Like no one even knows that it was agreed to. Yeah, that would be awesome. It would be awesome. I, I, I think that it's a perfect opportunity for the organization and for Brian Reynolds to to get this done because you have the day off tomorrow. And by tomorrow, a lot of you are speaking. I'm talking Wednesday night. So Thursday, you have the day off. It's a perfect opportunity to get this thing settled out, hashed out, and get the deal done before Friday. 
Uh, you're the Pittsburgh didn't you came out right there. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. you, uh. you had 48 hours to get hashed out. Yeah, I mean, the way that I'm looking at this too, and I've mentioned this, and, and maybe this is very stupid. Maybe this is a very dumb opinion. Maybe it's like loser mentality. I don't know. We're going to talk about loser mentality as well when we get to the Penguins. <laughs> but I'm looking at this deal as so much more than just like a right now for baseball rewarding Brian Reynolds deal. I'm looking at it as setting a precedent for future guys in the organization too when it's time to sign them to extend extensions. Like this is us showing players that are here now brian reynolds wasn't drafted and, and developed fully in the pirate system right but he was part of the mccutcheon trade um but that perform here that we are willing to pay you market or above market value in this case they're probably getting a bit of a discount when you look at these other deals that are being handed out and what brian mm-hmm. reynolds provides point nonetheless we are willing to reward the guys when that time comes. So I think that this is a great way. This is the contract to me that is the most important contract in Pittsburgh Pirates history. And I'm not saying that like trying to be high, like with hyperbole or anything. I, I legitimately believe that because I think you're starting to set a precedent for what O'Neill Cruz is for, for guys further down. Andy Rodriguez, hopefully at some point, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm sitting here going through guys in the organization, like T. Brian's already paid. I don't, I don't know who else right now that we're really thinking about is like could get these hundred plus million dollar deals. Um, but I don't know. That's just where I'm at with it. Like, I think it's important, obviously, for Brian Reynolds and the future of this baseball team. But I think it's also important just to establish like that type of culture and willingness to pay guys when they perform, rewarding them. No, I think that makes sense. Um, because if you're if you're a minor leaguer in the team or you're getting drafted by the Pirates and you see them, they're not rewarding the guys that are performing for them with these contracts. Then what are you really playing towards? You're, 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 you're how, yeah, how many guys are drafted by the Pirates and are like, okay, I'm going to be here until you know I'm looking for my first MLB contract, like legit contract. Like uh, most guys uh, are probably looking at it like maybe I'm here until free. I hit free agency, but most likely I'm going to be part of like a trade at some point. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's not just the Pirates. I'm sure there's other organizations that people have similar interests sure. in, or similar thoughts about. But you know, I, I think that needs to change. And to your point. I think that this would be a great example for that because if you're a guy that's in low A or you're get, just getting drafted double A, you're watching the the Pirates reward the guys. Then Something you can towards. think like that's something that I can. That's a goal. I'm going to get that contract, and and maybe that that helps you perform better. But yeah, it's it's a culture change. It's it's setting that precedent. And like I said, to me, if I if I if I had control over it, lock them in a room. You have 48 hours until first pitch on Friday. Yeah, I mean, eight one thirty to me even is, you know, a steal. Basically, I think for what he's going to provide over the first, you know, five six years of that contract, and then it's like, you know, kind of whatever. But one hundred thirty million dollars over eight years would be sixteen point two five million dollars a season. You look at what MLB, you know, market value is to me. <laughs> that's anything under twenty million to me is like wow. Like I, I can't believe that that got done, but that is the number that he was at and they even got him lower than that. But again, I, if I'm the pirates, I, I wouldn't do that either. So I completely get not wanting the, if you can get that opt out after like year five or something, I think that's more palatable after year four to me, right. It, it really doesn't make sense for the team to do. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I fully understand that too. Um, And you know, it's still be the biggest contract in, in pirates history. It, it, even if it, if it was a eight, one thirty. 
I mean, mm-hmm. the the current biggest pon- contract is the Hayes contract, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, because mm-hmm. it was the Kutch contract before that, I believe, that five-year yeah. deal with Kutch. So, mm-hmm. I don't right. know. Yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting. Like, we don't even know if they're still even trying to work on this. Um, but I think that, you know, there was some hope because they were there on the money in years. But like, were they really? Because in order to be there on the money in years, it took Brian's team coming in with we want an opt out. Then you know, if that's the case, I actually presumed that it was a a no trade clause he was looking for. But you know, that makes sense too. Him wanting the opt out after year four. But from the Pirates' standpoint, no. So again, just pony up the more money and don't include that in the contract because I think he would have taken it if it was the 130 instead of the 106 without the opt-out. You know, I don't even think about no trade clauses when it comes to baseball contract. I feel like Bryce they're, Harper. They're, not as, they're not as popular <laughs> to like be talked about. Yeah, Bryce Harper's going to be in Philly. We know that. No trade clause and no opt or no, yeah, no opt-outs, right? There's nothing. Yep. There's nothing. It it's a just a straight 13-year deal. deal. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um. All right, moving on to talk about the Steelers. There were a couple signings. Uh, Braden Fajoko and Keanu Neal. Uh, Fajoko, a defensive tackle, I think, made a ton of sense. They needed some depth along the defensive line. Um, you know, I don't expect this guy to be like coming and be a three-down player or anything like that, but I think from a situational standpoint, I like some of the stuff I saw when I was watching him, uh, watching him back from the Chargers and uh, LSU guy. Um, actually, well, is, he, his, is he a defensive tackle or is he like strictly a nose guard? That's a good question, actually. I don't know because I'm wondering around. if you can bump him out or if he's yeah, strictly. Yeah, I don't know that he nose. moved around a whole lot. Um, that's a good question because at least when I was watching him, because I, th- I, th- I, th- I, 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 I could have swore he was like a just a straight up nose tackle, which I know. And now that I'm thinking yeah, I mean, about how I asked that actually question. as a defensive end, uh, they list him as a defensive tackle here, but yeah, Wikipedia actually lists him as a well, defensive I know, end. I, I know how I, I asked that question probably sounded and weird. And then pro football reference lists him as a nose tackle. Okay. Mainly I was asking like, is he, is he just inside at nose all the time or can he be bumped out to to like the three no like, i think a, he could yeah tackle. i think he could play you know opposite d tackle from cam or you know be a, give a breather to cam okay okay i and i'm i'm realizing how i asked that question i said is he did is he a defensive tackle is he strictly a nose guard like defensive ta- a nose guard is a defensive tackle technically but you knew what i meant by defensive tackle versus nose tackle but yeah, yeah, like I'd one clarify. tech or three tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I think really good signing there from a depth perspective. Keanu Neal uh, is the interesting one. I actually, I I had to tweet it out and I went back and found it last year. I tweeted it out like when I thought we could potentially lose Terrell Edmonds. I threw his name in the ring as somebody that could be brought in by the Steelers. There was pre-draft interest, former first-round pick, seventeenth overall. Um, so you know that pedigree. Uh. He comes in this year, though, and he's a guy that's kind of like a safety linebacker hybrid. So when you're talking about filling roles that are going to be left by the departure of Terrell Edmonds, I think he feels fills that box role that we were talking about last or last week. I said last year, last week, who's going to be like that eighth guy in the box 
I think it's Keanu Neal. I don't know that he's going to, again, getting back to like with uh, what I said about Fajoko, I don't think he's going to be an every down player, but I think he's going to be a mm-hmm. contributor. Maybe he's like what we saw from, from KZ last year when he was getting on the field, like in three safety sets. Yeah. Um, what's your take on both of these guys? Um, well, I, I, I think, I think that the Fajoko one is, is really good. I think that they needed to share up some depth along that defensive line. Um, defensive line definitely took a hit last year uh in in some of the production that we were expecting but you know i i think that this could really help out and the the one that keanu neal that one to me was okay that's the replacement for terrell Edmonds. as soon as i saw that that was right away what what came across my mind and i i think that this will be good um it, it complements what Minky can bring very well because i think that even though he's not going to be exactly like terrell Edmonds, i think that he Maybe he has a little more ball skill than Terrell Edmonds had. Yeah, I do. Think we know he can he play to... with uh, Demonte KZ. This is the third team they've been on together. Really, Falcons, Falcons, and Cowboys. I I did not know that. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. But yeah, no, I I, I think this improves your defense. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think that it's a smart way to do it. You're you're replacing positions that were of need, and you're replacing with positions that are pretty similar. Especially speaking of Neil like similar to what you were losing. So like what you lost with Edmonds, you know what you're going to expect this guy, like you were saying, in the box and in the run game with Edmonds. I think that's valuable to have back there. Um, and I know we had in the notes, like how does this do? Does this affect how we think about the draft at all? Mm-hmm. Not too much. Same thing honestly. That I asked last week, yeah. Yeah, it's not not really too much. You know, them, them signing Fahoku, like if they're going to take a defensive tackle, I – at this point in, in, in the draft process, I don't see them taking a, a defensive tackle until probably round three or four at the earliest. Um, and, and, and so I, I don't think it really changes my mindset on it. I still think if there's a guy that they like, they'll take him there. But I, I'm more so looking at like some of the earlier guys. Like It doesn't really affect how I think that the Steelers draft is going to go. And with, with uh, signing Keanu Neal, I mean, what? The, the Steelers are no no longer going to take like Jordan Battle. I I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like safeties that emulate like that type of safety, right? Because yeah. because it, you you can't can't say like oh like Brian Branch or any other like typical Jair like, Brown free maybe out of Penn State. I, I think that might take him off the board. Yeah, but. like you have to like Jair Brown, Jordan Battle. These these guys that are more like run heavy stopping safeties. I feel like that affects them in the draft process, but any anything else, it doesn't really affect any of the free safeties that could be taking like, like a Brian Branch. But I don't think the Steelers are really going to take one anyway because they have Minka. I think they're more focused on corner in the secondary, so well, I, I don't really think it affects it anyway. Yeah, I, I, but the thing with Branch to me is like <clears throat> that's also a slot corner. So, like, I, I think that that's why he might still be in play. I wouldn't think it would be at 17. I think he would have to be the case of, like, a, a lot of people well-connected to the league do not have Branch in the first round anymore because of the way that he tested. If that happens, one, that's crazy to me, especially in this class. I think he's a top 10 player. Uh, top 15, I might give you, but for sure he should go in the first round. Um, but if he's there at 32, if the Steelers take somebody else, it's going to break my heart. I would 100% take him there, even though you're going to list him as a safety. That's your slot corner, in my opinion. Um, another guy's like Jatavius Martin, 
out of Illinois, who I really like too. Um, but the reason I asked about the draft stuff and wanted to include that for sure, made sure we had a conversation. Uh, Alex Kazor at Steelers Depot does this as well as anybody else, keeping track of pre-draft visits. The Steelers are up to 21 of their 30 used. Um, and the most interesting thing to me is that there's been more in like interior offensive linemen than tackles that are coming in for pre-draft visits. Uh, Osiris Torrance, Steve Avila, Chandler Zavala, John Michael Schmitz, Cody Mock. All five of those guys have been in for pre-draft visits. When you talk about the tackles, it's only been Dewan Jones and Anton Harrison. Uh, either already visited or scheduled to visit. I should say that too, because not all of them have yeah. happened, but we know that they're going to happen. Yeah. Um but yeah, so it's interesting to me there. Also, like we're, we're talking about corners, six corners so far have come in, two safeties. Uh, none of the high-end safeties, to your point, have been, and it's been Daniel Scott and Tanner Engel. Um, but yeah, I, I think looking at this list right now, to me, what jumps off the page is what we already knew. Corner is very much in play at 17. And if it's going to be a tackle, it's probably going to be like a massive man like DeWan Jones. To me, one of the two players, along with say what you want about him, you know, Keely Ringo. To me, Dewan Jones and Keely Ringo are the two players they've shown the most interest in from start to finish so far. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that their visits kind of speak to what they're interested in. It is interesting, though, that they haven't really met with any of the other tackles in, in the class. Like, like yeah. you said, they met with a lot of interior offensive linemen, which you look at how the Steelers have improved their offensive line this offseason so far, you wonder why they're looking at so many interior offensive linemen still. Obviously, yeah. I know you want to improve it upon it, but it, it, that is interesting to me considering that tackle is the more needy position yeah. right now. And I know that it's got to probably... be a guy that's center capable. Like, it, yeah. and, and I like Mason Cole, but I could understand if you're looking for either an upgrade or something down the line because Mason Cole's contract, obviously, like two years left, but you can get out of it like after next year pretty easily. So. But yeah, I just want to throw yeah. that in there. No, yeah, th th that's a good point, and I I, I think that the the thing about tackles, um, you know, Anton Harris and Dewan Jones, those two aren't surprising that the Steelers are meeting with, and I think the reason that they're not haven't met or and they're not going to meet with like a Paris Johnson Jr. or a Broderick Jones is the Steelers are probably accepting that those two aren't going to be there for them to take, um. I, and and I, I think that that's right, but it is interesting like that I think that they should have like talked to more of the tackles around like the the second round range as well because there's other tackles that could be viable options somewhere in there. It, it, mm -hmm. It's interesting to me though that they're not and they're, they're meeting with just the two. Now they very well they'll very well might get one of those guys at 17 um, or, or, or at 32. you know I, I don't know. I, I would love yeah. to get the, one of them at 32 and pick a corner in round one, but that's just my bias. But, you know. Mm -hmm. I want to add, too, though. So we always like to connect the dots in terms of, like, interest show, like reveals the Steelers' cards where they go in the first round. So that is absolutely the case for where Tomlin and Khan go for, like, pro days and stuff like that. These visits have actually been more revealing for what they do on day two. So... This might be something to look at for picks 32, 49, and 80, and so on and so forth down the line, as opposed to pick 17. I'm not so sure that pick 17's on here in these pre-draft visits, but I bet you on day two, 
you know, we see a couple of these guys or, you yeah. know, assuming that they're available. Well, I've just seen some, some people do mock drafts and have <clears> like the Steelers <throat> taking Dewan Jones at 17, which I think is a bit rich. Um, <sighs> I, I think it, that you could hold off to 32. I understand why they could. It, yeah. it, they, they really want the big tackle. Um, I know, I know the Steelers really like that and they don't probably don't, wouldn't want to risk losing totally him. It also goes along with what they did in free agency. Yeah. And I, I I don't think they they may not want to take the risk to lose him waiting until thirty two, mm-hmm. but still I I still think that that could be a little rich for him at seventeen. Takes two to tango, but man, if you can move back from seventeen, pick up an extra day two pick, and then get DeJuan Jones, like sign me up for that. I love DeJuan Jones as a player. Yeah, for sure. He's a mountain. Yeah, and he's a good athlete at that size. Like it's yeah, it's stupid how I I don't know what these like. I say kids because they're younger than us drank and eat growing up now, but like freak athletes, regardless of the size. It's true. Um, but yeah, some other ones that like kind of jumped off to me because just as we were talking about the defensive line, we're starting to see some of those guys come in. Uh, Javon Dexter, Keanu Benton, who's really rising up boards. Uh, Thule, I don't even know how to say this guy's last name. I don't want to butcher this the, from USC. I don't know if you know how to say this being a, being that you were on the West Coast for a little bit there. Hold on. Tuli Tupelotu. Tuli Tuli Pelotu. Yeah, him out of USC. Uh, and then Siaki Ika was actually in today at the time of recording this. Um, he's a guy. I already uh, saw what you said about him. Yeah, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. And for anybody who didn't, him. it's just one word. It just said no. <laughs> Did you see my, my response, though, when somebody asked, like, why? Because he's I, a two-down tackle. Yeah, who who if he goes in the top 50. Now, if you're talking about from any point, like say he falls to, I mean, I've seen him falling in a lot of you know drafts now. Say he falls to like 80, no problem with that. Or if you're moving back from 32 or 49 and it's like lower down somewhere in the, the 60 range or something like that, no issue with that. But I just think you're talking about, you know, a run-stopping, primarily like first maybe second down player who's like a goal line specialist short yardage specialist uh nose tackle and i just man it's a top 50 pick i don't know his ras score was like barely two i think like we boy, but we knew he's not an athlete like that's not why you're taking him but it's just it was worse i think than a lot of people expected no no i i, I definitely uh i definitely agree i i don't think that i would take him uh, or a player like that that early, um, it, you just got to look at like on field value. How how much time are they going to be spent on the field? How many snaps are they going to take? And someone like that, they're very situational for for how they're util- utilized. So spending that yeah. higher draft capital, I agree, it doesn't make sense. Um, now, like you said, though, this is day two guys that we're talking about with some of these visits. So. Maybe it is later, like within that third round. I don't know what they're going to do, but like I agree with you. At the top fifty, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I think there's other guys that are going to be there at other positions too that I think they're going to be really valuable. Also, he went to uh, uh, which high school did he go to? East or West? He went to East High, which is where High School Musical was filmed. Oh, this yeah. is you're talking about Siaki Ita. Yeah, he went to East High okay, all right. in Salt Lake City, Utah, and which is where High School Musical was filmed. All right, bring him in. I got no problem. <laughs> it changes with <that>. everything. <laughs> it completely no changes his draft board. Um, 
And then the receivers, very clearly, it's a slot guy. They've brought in uh, three so far. I, I love two of them for sure. Uh, Charlie Jones would be fine, I think. Uh, but I love Jaden Reed out of Michigan State, and I love Jonathan Mango out of Ole Miss. Uh, very different styles. Jonathan Mango is closer to that. He's not Chase Claypool's size, but he's about 6'2", 225. I mean, that's a bigger slot option. Uh, pretty diverse route tree. And Jaden Reed, man, he's got some He's got some burners. Um, I love his body of work at Michigan State. I actually did a mock draft, like, the very first one that I did a long time ago and picked him in, like, the sixth round. Yeah, that's not happening. He's probably going to go, like, late day two at this point with uh with his pre-draft process. So I would yeah. love either one of those two guys. Um, I don't know. Mingo would probably have to be at 49. I think Reed might be at 80 potentially. Um, but yeah, like very clearly if the Steelers are going to draft a receiver, it's a guy that's going to be slot. And this is a good draft to need a slot receiver. Yeah. And I think that's where the Steelers are, are needing a receiver when it comes to the, to the needs of the team. You know, I, we talked about, was it last week that Pat Fryermuth is essentially your slot receiver right now? Um, so, yeah. so they don't really have a true slot receiver and they haven't for a few years. I mean, no tight ends we've, on here, by the way. We've experimented with it. it you know, what are they going to, they're going to spend draft capital on, on a blocking tight end. I, I mean, uh, not that's, necessarily that's, like a, here's my, I, I'm, I'm trying to make my case for this is, Pat Frymuth becomes your slot receiver. He might still be listed as a tight end. This guy is going to play in line, but also still run routes. And like, I don't get me wrong. Like, if, if Pat Frymuth is part of the future, like that's great. I really like him as a receiver. But he's only got he's going to have one year left on his contract at that point after next season. And he's got a history of concussions. Like, I don't know. So, just a lot of things here that I can make a case for to get involved with the best draft class that we've seen come out in uh, at least since I've been like involved in, in actually watching guys come out of the draft. All right. Well, let's take Dalton Kincaid at 17 <laughs> and, and let's take Darnell Washington at 32. You're ta- Okay. Hold on. No, <laughs> actually as much as I love Dalton Kincaid, I wouldn't take him just because he's the same thing. He's a wide receiver. It's a redundancy. Yeah. Like he's also going to be a slot receiver, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, him, him, and uh, Keithy, the two tight ends from Utah. It's so funny because they're just wide receivers. And you look at how how th- they use the offense; they only throw to their tight ends as well. And so, yeah. so they are quite literally the wide receivers of the team. And I mean, Keithy, the ones that's still going to be at Utah this year, he's six two and he's a tight end. You're telling you're telling me that he's a tight end. A, like That's an funny. actual tight end? No, he's six two. He's a wide receiver. You just list him at tight end. Um, I don't know if you've seen this list, but the last thing I want to look at, obviously, is going to be the corners. Um, Keely Ringo, Emmanuel Forbes, Tyreek Stevenson, Julius Brents. That's my guy. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., who doesn't count as one of the visits, being that he's an in-state player, and then uh, Deontay Banks out of Maryland, who I also really like him too. Um, anything? there stand out to you i mentioned like keely ringo seems to me like you look at this pre-draft visit they went to dinner with him pro day went to dinner there like there's been interest across the board so far with him through this process uh does anybody stand out there to you for better or for worse keely ringo does for worse compared to a couple of names you said just because i'd rather have a couple corners 
that are yeah, on that list. He's the height, weight, speed guy that, like, man, you are really banking on being able to coach up. And, like, the Steelers don't obviously have the best history there when it comes to corners. I will say, like, Terrell Austin wasn't in town before, you know, with this history that we're talking about with developing these guys. Yeah. Yeah, no, he he's just the one that uh, – I don't want to say scares me, but I, I'm just, high boss potential for sure. Yeah, he, I'm just worried that the Steelers are going to take him and not pan out. Whenever there's there's other guys that I think are maybe maybe they don't have necessarily as high as a ceiling as Keely Ringo could be, just based on intangibles. But yeah. you know, I, I think that they're they're going to be better football players from day one and, and more consistent and and has the potential or a lower floor. Um, but the the one to me that I, I really like out of that list is Deontay Banks. Um, I, I, have been really considering like mocking him at 17 to the Steelers, especially cause I feel like he's going to be one that's still there that that'll be available. And I think it's a smart pick. Um, you know, I, I still, there's more smoke around Joey Porter jr. Than there was, um, like, like you and I a month ago talked about like they, they have no interest and now it's kind of changed a little bit. Um, I think they, I think they like him. I'm not, I, I wouldn't roll him out at 17 by any means. I just don't think it's like literally the case where as, as everybody's making it, where it's like, this is the guy, this is the guy at corner, perfect fit, all these other things. Like I don't, we got that I, last year with Malik Willis and it was not the yeah, case. Yeah. I, I think it's a, I think it's a similar thing. Like they could, they're looking at that position might not be that player. Yeah. Yeah. No. And then that's where to me, that's why Deontay Banks fits in perfectly. I, I think he's a he's a corner that you come in and I, I think he can get significant playing fight playing time from game one. Yeah. I, I think, man, Julius Brent is kind of becoming my guy in this class. Um don't know how much you know about him. He's he might finish on my top five corners. Like I feel like he's game. I know he goes here. to Kansas State. Yeah. I, <laughs> or I went think to Kansas State. I think he's gonna go like top top forty at this point. Like I think he could go very early on day two. This is probably so. I'm talking about a guy probably would have to be that 32, that first pick of the second round if you take him. But I think you look at the success like a guy like I'm not comparing them, you know, across the board, but like Tariq Woolen had last year in Seattle. Like Julius Brent's a six foot four plus. Like I, he's yeah. he's hovering right at six five. He's just a massive corner. He would fit in perfectly. Like you could just drop him in in Seattle back in the Legion of Boom days, and he would be perfect there um mm-hmm. but yeah to me this is your press like prototypical press man corner gets his hands on you right at the line of scrimmage very sticky um i think there's still some some stuff to clean up takes you know a little bit wrap like we talk about it all the time like anytime you talk about college corners and they don't have very many things to pick on you're just gonna say they're a little bit grabby because they like people were saying about joey porter jr the dude had one penalty last year and it was the first half of the first game like so he was able to clean that up. Um, but yeah, to me, Julius Brents is kind of becoming my guy through this process. So I'm very glad the Steelers have interest in him. If it is tackle at 17, at a corner at 32, I, I like it would be him. Uh, maybe Ringo's there at that point, maybe like a Tyreek Stevenson. But like if Julius Brents, you get him at 32, I don't even care what you did at 17, really. Okay. I don't well, okay, mm, I care. Uh, let me take that. Let me let me walk that one back because yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I I I think that would be a good pick. You know, he compared him to Tariq Woolen, and it's similar to like, Tariq Woolen. I mean, there was there was several guys within the draft community that had some issues with Tariq Woolen, like things that he needed to work on. But look at what the I mean, rookie season he ended out. up having. Yeah. I I I think that 
I think that that could work. And I, I, I personally, you said he's six four. I love tall corners. I love big. Yeah, corners. I mean, look at like Richard. Forget Sherman. these little five ten, five nine guys. I want this dude to be <laughs> six five. Well, what's funny is like one hundred percent could see if there's one position the Steelers are going to double up on. To me, it's corner because you would get a boundary guy, and then you look for somebody in the nickel, and like it could be a total different type it's gonna be a totally different type of player i think then you're looking at like clark phillips out of utah or like a trevius hodges tomlinson out of tcu Dude, who's five please. eight like please give me clark phillips oh <laughs> like i said i i love that dude i love yeah. him so and much. i think like he's only five ten. i think right or like yeah. maybe even generously but He's just like the tenacity in what he plays with. It it seems like he's like he thinks he's like six one yeah, at least. Hilton uh, is what five nothing. Yeah, but I'm I but mean, my point is like Phillips though. Phillips was playing on the outside. Like I, like he's he probably mm-hmm. would play in the slot in the NFL. But like in a pinch, if he had to, I don't. I think he could survive on the boundary a little bit. I, I think he could, and part of that is probably just how aggressively he plays plays the position. Like yeah. he he may not have some of the. Some some of the traits that some of these outside corners do, but he's just going to beat the crap out of the wide receiver in front of him on the way down the field. So I I, I think that's why he can make up for it. But if you want to double dip at corner and go in and take like two within the first like three picks, because I imagine Phillips. I don't know if they're you're going to be able to wait till the Steelers' fourth pick. Phil, Phillips would have to be eighty, I think. Yeah, third round. Or for fourth round, yeah, that's what I meant. Fourth round, so I I think that within that 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 range, I, I would be fine double dipping at corner, um, because it's a need. It, it's it's a it's a clear cut need that the Steelers have. And while you should always draft like best player available, you also need to draft for your needs as well. What, at who the, on the roster good. right now at corner is guaranteed to be back? Not this upcoming season, but the following one. I no now one. that Cam Sutton's gone, nobody. No one. Like Patrick Peterson signed a two-year contract, but it's really a one-year. And if we like you and you still have it, you'll be back for year two. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they need it. They so, need it. yeah, if they're going to double dip in one area, to me, it's a corner, and it would be getting a boundary guy and a slot-specific guy. Um, uh, sign me up for Julius Brents and Clark Phillips, both those guys. Pick thirty-two, pick eighty. And then I don't care. No, I'm not going to say that. And then uh, you don't care what happens <laughs> to 17. Last thing I want to mention uh, with the Steelers is they bring in an offensive assistant, uh, the pipe dream, because Byron Leftwich still doesn't have a job, unless I'm totally missing something. I would have loved for them to bring him in, not as the offensive coordinator, but give him a role on the offensive staff. However, Glenn Thomas, most recently the offensive coordinator at Arizona State. Thank you, Richie Bradshaw. Um for that back and forth because obviously things did not go well for him there hence why he is moving on from there and now taking a role in the nfl um but everywhere that he's gone it's been working with quarterbacks so i think that's very interesting you already have a quarterback coach and mike sullivan you're getting another guy that's been very familiar he worked with matt ryan that's his last nfl stop was as his quarterback coach from 2012 to 2014 very well traveled and don't get me wrong like even though arizona state did not go well when he was working under Matt Roll, going from uh, Temple to Baylor, you know some of those Matt Roll stops. Those offenses that he was running were pretty good. So I don't think that this is one hundred percent like a lost cause type hiring here. 
how do you feel about this? Because a lot of people are even saying, like, here's your safety net in case things don't go well and Matt Canada's fired in season. As a Steelers I, fan, history kind of tells you it's not going to be the case. But That's not going to be the case, and even if it was the case, I don't know that that's really an improvement necessarily based off of what we saw with, with him at Arizona State. I mean, I saw it firsthand a couple years ago when they played in Provo at BYU. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it's a good signing because it brings in new blood for the offense. And that's really, to me, what I care about with this signing. Um, because I, I feel like f- based off what we've seen over the offense past several seasons under the Can- Canada um, regime at offensive coordinator, I-, I think that you need some new blood in that offense with some new ideas. And, and even if he's not going to be calling plays, even if he's not going to be the quarterback's coach, I still think he's going to have influence in all of it. Um, because he has the experience in doing so. And, I mean, you're talking about at least NFL experience back when he was with Matt Ryan. Those are, like, good years with Matt Ryan. And those were years, like, leading up to eventually – Yeah, I mean, he wasn't with the team when he did it, but Matt Ryan won an MVP eventually. The, and, the very uh, next season, yeah. So so I, I think that it's, it's a good thing because it's just a, a new face that can bring in new ideas and, and new thoughts about the offense because that's the thing that really hinders the Steelers – is the offense compared to the defense. It's the offensive play calling, all of it. I I don't think that it will necessarily change like the style that the offense is going to run, but it will at least bring some more influence from outside of the organization, which to me is just a good thing to have outside minds in in what is overall pretty bland offense. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement there. I'll be curious as to what the people think. Uh, let us know in the comments how you feel about this, if it moves the needle for you at all in terms of the offense. If you are somebody that believes, like I said, some people are on Twitter talking about this is a safety net kind of. <clears throat> it's at least somebody that has experience calling plays if things don't work out with Matt Canada and he's fired in season. Again, it's the Steelers. That's not happening, but if you want to hold on to hope, let me know in the comments. Uh, <clears throat> finally, I literally have under Penguins. This is the first thing. <sighs> Just a long sigh. Uh, they no longer control their own destiny as it relates to the NHL playoffs. With four games remaining, even if they win out, they're going to need either the Islanders or the Panthers to lose a game down the stretch here, too. I look at this and I think I look at six guys having over 20 goals. I look at, you know, Sid and Gino having fully healthy seasons, a resurgence from Jason Zucker, Ricard Raquel be living up to the contract that, you know, I think we both like, even though we like Ricard Raquel as a player, we're kind of scratching our heads at the years on that deal. Yeah. Um, I look at all those things and I'm like, man, how, how are we in this spot right now? And then you dig a little bit deeper. You see the goaltending that they've gotten for the better portion of the season. You see the play that they've had on the blue line for the better portion of the season. You see the bottom six that has supported that top six that we were just talking about. And it's very easy to see how the Penguins are in this position. So it's a very top-heavy team that is supported by absolute junk. And even if one of those things are different, whether you want to talk about the goaltending, the play on the blue line, we're the bottom six. If one of them is different, this team isn't a contender for the Stanley Cup, but they're at least in the playoffs in my mind. So for all these things to go wrong, that's how they're in this position right now. One point back, one point out of the playoff spot with four games to go. 
I I can't believe this, but we're very close to next week talking about they're going to have one game remaining when we talk next week. But at that point, who knows? They could be eliminated depending on if they mm-hmm. lose and the other teams win all three leading up to that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, how did we get here? Uh, you know, I there's somebody by the name of Ron Hextall who I think might have a good idea. The team that he built around what your core is, which I, I, I the fact that the core is 35 plus years old and performing the way they are and their team around them is this bad is just, I don't see any blame except for on the GM and upper management. I, I think that it, obviously if they miss playoffs, there's going to be blame on everybody, including Mike Sullivan. And while Mike Sullivan to me has some issues with his deployment in some areas this year, I, yeah. I agree it to a certain degree on his sentiment several months ago. Our team is our team, which is I, to me was basically him saying, what am I supposed to do with these guys? Yeah, maybe a little bit of a shot at Hextall there. Uh, like, honestly, that's how I took it. What, like, the, our team's our team. What am I supposed to do? I have the players that I have. What am I supposed to do with them? Half of them yeah. stink. Right. And I, I think that this is all the problem of Ron Hextall. There have some, been some good moves that Ron Hextall has done since being GM. But there's yeah, also few, been some really, really bad ones. There's also been some really, really bad signings, and he's done nothing to help w- what you're getting from a point per game Sidney Crosby, point per game of Getty Malkin, a 35 year old, still 1,000 game player, by the way. Uh, Chris yeah, Latang, congrats, congrats, Chris. congrats yep. on Chris, 1,000 games in the NHL. The fact that you're getting these seasons from these older guys and the top six is still contributing the way that they are, and your team is so bad around them, I have no other blame except for the GM which is why as soon as the season ends, if they are not in the playoffs, hell, even if they are in the playoffs, I don't yeah, care. I, but if they are not in the playoffs, I think it should be less than an hour that Ron Hextall is fired. I don't know if Fenway Sports Group is going to realize that they're not in the playoffs because we're still not sure if they know <laughs> they own the Penguins. Um, yeah. Well, but, hey, some they did have representation there for Chris's thousand games. They, so. they, they did. They sent some junior representative person. Um, they're like, this isn't Liverpool. Why are we here? But you know, I, I think that the, it's just such a shame because of the season you're getting from these older guys. And, and that, that's, su- that's such a shame that the team around them is so bad. And it's, this is probably, and I might be having recency bias here. This might be the least enjoyable season that I have watched oh, there's been- in the Sidney Crosby era. There's been so many times this year where I'm like, can we just get to the end of the season? And it's like, for a multitude I, of reasons. But yeah, I mean, I'm in agreement with you where it's like most of the games, I, I just feel like it's a chore. Like the, the, the entire point of sports, whether you're winning or losing, is entertainment. There is nothing entertaining about this hockey team on most nights. Yeah, and that that's why I was even thinking about, and I was thinking about, I was like, whether am I gonna, am I, do I actually mean this? Should I say this? Like, if they somehow scratch themselves into the playoffs, I don't even know if I'll watch at that point. They made the playoffs. I don't care after that. That's that's the ultimate goal for this season. Yeah, that 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 is literally the only thing that matters. And they were pissing it down the drain. And I get the Devils are a really good team. They played them last night. And the Devils completely dominated them. Yeah. And 
I get that they're a good team. They're a playoff team. They are much better than people expected. But it looked like the Penguins didn't even care they weren't that the they were league. in the game. Yeah. It, 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 it's just sad at this point. And over these next four games, if they don't have any fight, then they don't deserve to be in the playoffs because they look like they just don't even care that they're in a playoff race. They're currently out of the playoffs. I mean, I don't get the same feeling um, that, that I got in previous seasons or in previous games of this season that there's just a ton of fight within this team, even if they're down in games. I just don't feel that anymore. Once they're down, I just expect them to lose. I really thought, you know, this is this is relatively recently, like what, a week ago from Saturday or something like that. Whenever they won that game against the Capitals off Gino's yeah. late goal, I kind of thought that was going to be the launching pad for the rest of the season. Uh, to see them, you know, come out and lay out, lay that game against the Devils. And like, the thing is, those performances are going to happen, but they've happened so often. And it really emphasizes the easy ones that you've dropped, you know, losing to Montreal, losing to Detroit. Like their records against those teams, Ottawa, that is, you know, what makes those games more important is because the Devils are much better, but that game was so much more important because of dropping those ones. Even, even the ones to the Islanders, just because of the position the Penguins were in, in those games where, you know, it just, they were basically the NFL equivalency of playing prevent defense for almost two full periods. And I'll use the same saying you just did, pissing the games down the drain. So I, I, to be in this position right now as a Penguins fan, it's very new. So we're speaking very raw and emotionally, I feel like, about the subject. But again, I would 100% have been better off with the way this season has gone if it was due to Sid, Gino, Latang, those guys falling off a cliff. To have those guys still performing at the level that they are and have the roster surrounding them play the way that they have. And it, and I can't even necessarily blame the players on the roster. They're not asking to be put in the positions they are. This is the way the roster was constructed. It's maddening. And they got, you know, eight possible points left, four games to try to squeak their way into the playoffs to most likely match up with the Boston Bruins in round one. It, like that is it to your point. Literally the only good thing that can come of the season at this point is extending the playoff streak. And that's it. That's all we're looking forward to happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's really sad that it got to that point that we just have no belief that they could even win. Now, granted, they are going to be playing the best team in hockey if they do get in. But mm-hmm. it's sad that we do have literally zero belief that they could do even anything. And and we genuinely don't. Like, I feel like some people might see, feel like we're talking, like, just, just because we're emotional right now about it. Well, no, no I mean, we said I, this. I, I I genuinely do not think the Penguins would do a single damn thing in the playoffs. They are not going to win a game. And I and I already said, like, if, if the Penguins win the series, I will put it out a poll, dye my hair whatever color. I don't care. It's not going to happen. And I right yeah. now, I'm not even confident that they're going to make the even make the playoffs. They have a what should be an easy-ish road towards the end of the yeah, season. Yeah, they got Minnesota either tonight when you're listening or watching this most likely, um, which is how 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 fitting is that, that they're going against Marc-Andre Fleury basically with like their playoff lives on the line. Maybe Sid because will I will say squeeze a text in like, hey, just <laughs> soften up the pads a little bit. 
I will say the Islanders got Tampa tomorrow and then Florida. I don't know that they have a tough game tomorrow, but they have Toronto and Carolina their last two. So like the Penguins, you know, they definitely do have a path to the playoffs here, but they don't control their own destiny, which is like really the big portion of this. Yeah. The the annoying part is that they, they basically screw the pooch to get themselves into the point. But like I was saying, you, so Minnesota is the only playoff team you play. They, they're in the playoffs, and hopefully you get a win tomorrow night or whenever you listen to this against Minnesota. But yeah. the other teams you play, you're playing the second-worst team in the Atlantic. Now, granted, I, I, sh- I shouldn't say that because you lost this team 7-4 to four earlier this month or last month. Um, but you, you, you are playing the second-worst team in the Atlantic. You're playing the worst team in the NHL in the Chicago Blackhawks. And then you're also playing the Columbus Blue Jackets, who is the worst team in the uh, Metropolitan. I do not think there is a more convenient schedule to that they could ask for to close out the season to try to win the playoffs. But I'm afraid that it won't even matter because they're not going to put the effort into the games like they should. And to compare it to other schedules, so the Islanders do have the Lightning tomorrow night on Thursday. And then they play the Flyers, and then the Capitals, and then the Habs. So I will say with that one though, so their toughest remaining one, obviously Tampa. That's going to be Tampa in the in the second of a back to back after playing the Rangers. Like they played the Rangers the night of recording this right now. Tampa and, or Islanders? Tampa. Oh, so that's you know the Islanders to have a to me it's going to be the Islanders and then either the Penguins or Panthers is the second wild card. Yeah. Yeah, and the Islanders play three of four on the road. The only road game, or at okay. home, at home, at home. Oh, okay. The only road game they have is against Washington. The Panthers, on the other hand, they they play uh, Ottawa tomorrow night, and then they play the Capitals, Maple Leafs, and Hurricanes. So Capitals, mm-hmm. Maple Leafs, Hurricanes, pretty tough stretch of games to close out yeah. the season. I, but I similarly, up, they play three out of the four at home. Yeah, I brought up, um, though, to my dad, like looking at that, what are the chances, though? And I, I don't know that we see this a whole ton in the NHL. Like you want to be at your best going into the playoffs. Carolina's got, what, three points on New Jersey or something like that? Like what if they go into that game having nothing to play for? And then similarly, Toronto might be just locked into that too, can't move up or down Yeah. in the Atlantic. You know, what if they're both sitting guys in those last two games against Florida? Is that a thing in hockey? That's why I said, like, I, I don't know that it really is. It just it crossed it my mind. Yeah. That that could be at the least case. with a goaltender. Smart thing to do, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that's that's so annoying. The, they, the, the Penguins just pissed me off this year. They, they just really <laughs> pissed me off. Hey, listen, this is a great. So I want to bring up something. I, I tweaked it a little bit. I only included three options here, but uh, tip of the iceberg, our boys, Nick and Nick. Uh, that host tip of the iceberg podcast or check that out if you haven't already um, put out a poll about like which player would you want to ju- if you could get rid of one penguins player who would it be uh, they included Tristan Jari in that I'm not going to just because he's a UFA at the end of the year anyway and Brian Dumoulin would obviously be part of that too for me even though he's also a UFA so I'm not including him but the other three names then that were on there were Jeff Carter Michael Grandland and Jeff Petrie where are you at with that? What would be your answer if you could just get rid of one of their contracts completely off the book starting next season? 
<sighs> I'm still with Grandland. You know, I, I, so, and now I'll tell you why. So, as much as the Carter contract sucks, it's not as valuable as it's one the season. You can bury it on the fourth it's line. One season. Like, yeah. You can hide him on the fourth line better. Um, and then Petrie, while the contract isn't great, there's two more seasons on it. I, I still think that you can live with him on defense more than you can with Granlin on offense. And it, similarly, you could bury Petrie on the third pairing if you really wanted to and limit his minutes. I don't minutes. think he's been that bad, though. It's really just about he's making so much money. He's the second highest paid yeah, player in the team. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The Granlin one, though, th- this is a trade that should have never happened. He has been awful with the Penguins, literally, quite literally invisible, and he just provides no significance anywhere on the ice whatsoever mm-hmm. he doesn't do anything to improve the team and i don't know if you saw me talking about this i'm kind of at the point and i i i i, oh, I, I took yeah. a poll yeah i took a poll too and i don't know if you agree disagree but i would be willing to give up the first round pick to get his contract off of the penguins books if the penguins are serious about trying to contend still and I think they should be, considering the oh, seasons you got you just from Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. I, I think you still should be serious about contending. And so, uh, granted, they're, they're going to have $19 million of cap space going into this offseason. But mm-hmm. still, I think you could use the additional $5 million that you would get by just trading away his contract. And I am at the point where I would give up the first-round pick. I, and and may, maybe that sounds egregious to so many people, but seriously, look at first round picks. We've only had three since the the who was our first round pick? Casper Capitan. We've only had three, uh, including Casper Capitan, in that time frame since 2014. We've had him, we've had Sam Pullen, and we've had Owen Pickering last year. Owen Pickering, he might turn out. I don't know. He, he's still you, too young to find out. Sam Pullen, he was 2019 first round pick. He's not in the NHL yet. I'm sorry. I I don't see the value in a, having a player like that when you have aging core getting older and older by the day that are still being productive. I would rather try to improve the team now than the future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't put much thought into it. Um, I should have because we should have brought it up on here since you put it out on Twitter and got you know some people probably really questioning that, but assuming hopefully it's a new regime too. Yeah. Like they're probably going to be trying to clear out as much as they can. I, yeah, I would do it too. I mean, okay. So yeah, you're losing the first round pick, but you're gaining 5 million in cap space to go get another player in that case too. Maybe the team, you know, taking Granlin in a first, maybe you get like something back to, I don't like maybe get like a third back or something i don't know i don't that's such a weird deal like they happen but like not all that often and we haven't really seen the penguins do you know salary dumps like that so it's it's hard for me to go based off of i hate that we're agreeing on this like i i wish that we had two different answers uh but it's grandland for me too just because like we're saying like carter one year left i think you can bury on the fourth line i would still again i'm gonna say it prefer that he play the wing as opposed to center uh, and with Petrie, like, I just don't think he's a bad enough player to warrant it. Like, yes, like, if the opportunity arose, don't get me wrong, would love to get rid of that $6.25 million, but it's not like he's really, like, dragging the team down to me the way that Granlin is right now and will be for the next two seasons. So it's also Granlin for me. Uh, I wish I had something more exciting. And even though 
we're talking about Jeff Carter. This is talking about Jeff Carter. Even though, albeit limited to what he was when he first came to the Penguins in terms of like production and scoring, he has still produced more than Granlin has since being a Penguin. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I and he makes less money. He's one here for one last year. I, I cannot pick Jeff Carter, and it has to be Granlin. He, he he's more productive, believe it or not. It, I just don't. I don't understand how someone can be so unproductive as Granlin. He I know. literally I mean, they even does tried to throw him, nothing. They tried to put him with Gino and Zucker too, like to jumpstart him. Like that's the thing is, like, what is the solution? Like to try to do you play him with Sid? No. And like, I no. Mean, yeah. Like no. I don't know what. I, I think you. I think you're better off having two really good lines than trying to screw one up. Yeah, I just I don't know. They've tried to jumpstart him. Is my point, and the only thing they haven't done is yeah. put him with Sid. I don't want them to experiment with that, but it's really the only thing left for them to do if they were going to try anything else to try to jumpstart him. So, um, well, you know, but, he's going to get traded, and he, then he's going to score seven goals in his first like fifteen games. <laughs> you know, that's the um, thing too. It's it, it reminded me when you said that. Not that he's done that, but like Kapanen, the only reason that the Granlin trade happened was because Kapanen got taken off waivers. Like they wouldn't have been able to do it. So thanks, St. Louis. Yep. Yep. I was and thanking also, them. Ka- I thanked them genuinely when it happened because I was actually happy about it. Now I'm saying it sarcastically because I'm upset. I would rather just have Kapanen as 3.2. Uh, honestly, I would too. And you know, Kapanen outscoring Grandlin, Bluger outscoring Grandlin, McGinn outscoring Grandlin. The, the Penguins were probably better off just staying pat than what they did. <laughs> genuinely but that's been the case for a while like they could have changed basically nothing about the forward group from that team that lost to the islanders when jari imploded and they would have been fine it was literally just they need to fix the goalie situation and instead you know uh, jared mccann we could bring up every episode he just hit the 35 goal mark with seattle uh brandon tanev's been a, a pretty good player in his role as well for seattle freddie didrow is like super utilized in Minnesota. They love him there. He's like their shootout specialist when it gets to that point too. Like he is a massive role for the Minnesota wild. We're going to see him uh, tonight when you are listening to this. I mean, there's just so many things. Evan Rodriguez also. Yeah. That Swiss army knife that we always loved. And Sullivan loved too. I'm sure Sullivan wasn't, isn't happy about losing a lot of these guys. You know, know, what would be a good poll is if you could have, Mikhail Grandlin with his contract and give the same contract to Dom Simone. Which player oh would the Penguins God. fans rather have? <laughs> oh my goodness. Could you imagine Dom Simone as a $5 million player? I could. He's the Corsi God. <laughs> I thought you were to say, yeah, that's Mikhail Grandlin. <laughs> no, um, because at least, at least Dom Simone can produce more offense. Even though yeah. he's not the one doing the scoring, he drives the play. Mikel Grandlin does nothing. Yeah, he's a good passer that it generates nothing when, when the pass gets there. <laughs> Literally nothing. And he's afraid to shoot the puck. Yeah. Um, I don't notice him on the ice a lot of the time, which is only good if you're a defenseman. And when I do notice you, you're doing something bad. Yeah. Um, very massive game. 
with the Wild. Obviously, they're all going to be massive down the stretch here. But, uh, yeah, before we talk to you guys next, they got the Wild Thursday, Detroit Saturday, Chicago Tuesday, and then we will be back on Wednesday before the regular season finale at Columbus on Thursday. Um, and uh, I said last week I think we're going to have a pretty clear picture. I can guarantee you next week we're going to have a clear picture. And think about this when your heads hit the pillow tonight, whenever you're listening to this show. I'm 28. Smitty is going to be 28 in a couple months. And the last time that the Penguins missed the playoffs was when we were in fifth grade. Well, I think when you said hit the pillow, I just yawned. It like triggered <laughs> something in me. I'm very tired here and I'm dragging as we close out this episode but anyways um the links to the descriptions the links will be in you the did you did what i just kept doing yeah the links <laughs> will be in the description for those two yes. GoFundMes that tyler brought up the lamasters family fund as well as the isla keen fund uh and the information for the dalton keen golf outing at blackhawk golf course on saturday may 13th at 2 p.m um, all that will be in the description of this wherever you are watching or listening. Be sure to subscribe to the channel. Leave us a like. Hit that notification bell. Comment down below about anything that we talked about. Also, follow us on all our social media platforms. Leave a five-star review if you are listening anywhere other than YouTube. Uh, for Smitty, for Tyler, this has been Around the 412, and hopefully when we talk to you guys next week, the Pirates haven't lost another game and are still only at two losses, and the Penguins are looking good uh, to make another playoff push. They won't be. Uh, but we'll talk to you guys then. Bye-bye.